go to the scripture this morning, this is a very familiar set. Now, what I've done is chosen kind of the middle piece of it. A reminder that these men, uh, these kings, these magi, these wise men have been following this star coming out of the east. The east in these times always meant wisdom. The east always meant wisdom. And so they have spent... We don't know how long, but a long time following this star, they go to Herod, the king, and find him to be exceptionally corrupt. And so they keep following this star, and finally, after leaving him, this is what happens. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had, been, had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left their own country by another road. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Last week we began this study of the Gospel of Matthew, and this will continue through the year. But I want to just remind us a couple of things. And I mentioned a little bit of this as we began worship um, this morning. The Gospel of Matthew is often identified as the Jewish Gospel because it is the Gospel in which there are more Old Testament quotes than any other of the four Gospels. And yet, if you were to look deeper, and we're going to do this in my class this year, you will see that it really is not a Jewish Gospel. It is the, the Gospel that is directly focusing on us, Gentiles. The Old Testament quotes are there to try and build the foundation for what's to come. And that is Jesus coming to bring a different message than maybe what the Old Testament was trying to offer. It is an amazing gospel because it is also, as we've already found out, as we looked last week at those 42 generations, and those 42 generations contain four women, two of whom could be considered harlots. It contained two kings who really were not very good at their jobs. It was a list of absolute inclusivity, a list of absolute acceptance, and a list that shifted the understanding of what it meant to be holy and even a king. Then just following that, if you were looking at your gospel right now, what you would find is that story of Joseph who finds out that his espoused wife, his betrothed, is pregnant. And the law said that what they were to do, what he was to do, is to take her to the outskirts of the city so that the blood that she shed, the unholy blood, would not be spilled in the city. Take her to the edge of the town and the elders of the community would stone her to death. To not do that was to break the law. Joseph broke the law. And he broke the law to offer her grace and forgiveness and protection. Think about these two elements all in the first chapter of this gospel. And then we come to this surprising section where there are these wise men, these kings, these astronomers, these, these incredible folks who make the commitment to come and find this one who's been chosen of God. And they follow that star. 
And what they find as they come into this country, because they have to then visit the royal palace to get permission to move on, is they meet King Herod and they proclaim to him the prophecies about where this child is to be born. And Herod, in his own conniving ways, decides that he will follow these folks so that he can go and destroy this child. And one of the most moving and disturbing parts of this story is the massacre of children. But the wise men leave the king, follow the star, until it rests on not a manger, but a house. And here is this child, and what they do in a very inobtrusive kind of way is they come to this house with very few words, other than we have come to worship and offer gifts. And they kneel before this child, and they give some of the most beautiful, most practical, most wonderful gifts that were practical and symbolic to this child. A gift of gold to finance his trip. Whatever happens to finance his life, to support that life economically. A a, a gift of incense. A different kind of fragrant offering that is still expected in the temples of Jerusalem. Of killing the animals. This is something completely different a fragrant offering to this one to celebrate who he is. And the gift of anointing balm to be placed on those who die. The symbolic gift that this is one who is going to live his life sacrificially, always sacrificially for others. Notice that this author doesn't turn to... (laughs) the Talmud, or the Mishnah, or the Torah, for the wisdom that he's seeking. He turns to a different place, and for Herod, a very threatening place. Herod would build walls on the eastern borders of his country to protect them from any of the progressive nature of what was coming from the east. It's amazing. But what we find in these three gifts given by these kings is something completely different than what we find anywhere else in the story of God. Again, practical, humble, life-changing, society-changing, symbolic, beautiful, again, humble gifts. I do not believe there is an organization out there that is more an example of these kinds of gifts than Habitat for Humanity. Look at what Habitat does. A faith-based organization that brings one of the most significant possible gifts to what are often very, very humble families. But what they offer is life-changing circumstances. Life-changing for those who are in need those who would never have had the possibility potentially of being in their own home before are offered this gift from this humble, beautiful, grace-filled organization. I'm not exaggerating at all. I will tell you personally how many lives I have seen changed. And we're going to hear more significantly some of a story, particularly from, uh, from someone about that. But I've asked Mary Martin to come um, to talk a little bit more about Habitat. And Mary has kind of moved into this new role in the midst of this merger. 
between Habitat from the East Side and Habitat Seattle, and it's a it's kind of a, an interesting time of redefinition, I think, for the whole organization. But Mary brings this amazing history and this beautiful, bright smile, and uh, and just the ability to articulate what this organization represents. And so, Mary, would you come and share a little bit with us this morning? Be here and talk about Habitat for Humanity. It's an organization I've been uh, working with for almost uh, ten years, um, starting myself as a, a donor and a volunteer. And um, speaking of gifts. Um, Time and finances are, are huge gifts that Habitat relies on. This is um, how we are able to, to serve those in need uh, because congregations, individuals, uh, people like you are supporting Habitat. Um, we are a faith-based organization, but we're volunteer-driven. Um, volunteers do so much from building on the job site to um, helping to select the families that will uh, be purchasing the homes, um, helping us out in the office, um, bringing their corporations, their congregations, their civic groups out to work with Habitat. So we work with all elements of the community, and um, we welcome you out um, anytime. This church will be working with a faith coalition called Together We Build, that's coming up in a few weeks, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the 19th, 20, 21st, and then the next Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, so we hope you'll be able to uh, join us then, um, either helping to prepare the wonderful meals that are going to be served there at lunchtime for the volunteers, um, or out on the job site itself. And, of course, anybody, no skill level is um, mandatory. Um, many of the uh, site supervisors um that will be helping to supervise the volunteers are women. So uh, women are capable of doing anything out there. Um, if you'd rather not work on the job site, you can help prepare these meals, um, like I said. The um, house that's going to be worked on is a triplex um, and Renton down at the same site uh, where you built last year. And um, three families will be living there. And these families are selected according to their need for a home. And many times that need is, um, it's overcrowding. It's not, we don't see here on the east side a lot of poverty housing. We don't have a lot of shacks. But what we have are families of six living in a, a one or a two bedroom apartment. Um, it's very difficult for the children to study and do well in school when they are so crowded and they don't have any privacy or quiet time. So the families will have a housing need. They also will have um, an ability to pay. They do need an income because they're going to be purchasing this house. They will be earning um, 60% or less of King County uh, median income. So that, depending on the family size, that's somewhere between thirty-four and uh, $54,000, let's say. Um, so they will have an ability to pay. They also have to be uh, willing to work with Habitat and invest 500 hours of sweat equity. And the 500 hours takes about one every Saturday, every Saturday for about a year. That's how long these families will be working on their houses or their neighbor's house. So that is a huge investment. <clears throat> it shows commitment um, and willingness uh, to work hard because this isn't um, a handout, as we say. This is a hand up, a hand up to help a family who really wants uh, that stability that comes with home ownership. And, of course, the last thing is they have to uh, live or work in King County um, before applying. So we are serving the whole uh, King County area, and um, 
And you're a part of it. Uh, Aldersgate has been a huge part of the financial and volunteer support that we've received, and um, we're really grateful for it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mary. You know, Together We Build was born out of 9-11, and uh, as Dave and Daryl said, and it was, it was one of those times where in this country where healing was absolutely needed, and it's become a beautiful and shining example of, of how different cultures and different religious groups can work together, um, share and break bread together, and, um, and move deeper, not only into providing housing for someone else, but building relationships with each other. And it's, it's an amazing event. And so I, I too, want to just encourage you to, to be a part of that. And um, there are ways to sign up. But visit the Habitat table and the Together We Build table over at the Ministry Fair, and you'll get more information about that. Now, we're not quite done yet. In the midst of all of this, um, as we continue to kind of still tell stories of faith, um, I've asked a couple to come and share part of their story of faith, their kind of their journey, and, and particularly regarding habitat and kind of what makes them function. The selection of this couple was partially based on the fact that, that one of them won the highest lay award in the Pacific Northwest Conference, the Bishop's Award. Daryl Lowe was given that award at annual conference. However, Daryl was not given that award at annual conference. Daryl was offered that award. Um, and didn't happen to be there because, ironically enough, guess what they were doing? They were on the East Coast helping rebuild a camp over there. And so um, Tom Wilson and I connived and thought this would be the right day to offer Daryl that kind of official award, um, the Bishop's Award. And so I want to invite Tom to come forward, and he has something to read uh, from the bishop and... Uh, and then Daryl will receive that award. Tom is the executive director of the United Method- the North Pacific Northwest United Methodist Foundation. It's always a privilege to have you here, Tom. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here always, uh, and it's a real privilege to represent Bishop Hagia uh, this morning, who, in the best of all worlds, would be the one here uh, presenting this award. Um, I've been to 22 annual conferences. And I'm still smiling in in saying that. Um, (laughs) Two things happen during those annual conferences that I always look forward to. One is that they have the retirement, uh, clergy retirement dinner. Now, I'm not looking forward to their retirement. Don't get me wrong. What I look forward to is hearing the stories of these clergy who are almost always just amazing stories. Um, But I also look forward to to the Bishop's Award. Because in a similar fashion, we get the opportunity to hear uh, about the lives, about the stewardship, about how people have expressed uh, their sense of stewardship in the living out of their lives. And and this year was a very special year um, for me because they were honoring uh, two people who uh, I have learned a lot from and who have made my life uh, better and one of those uh, being Daryl Lowe. And so what I'd like to do this morning uh, is read uh, the words that the bishop uh, shared with us in his honor of of Daryl and to present Daryl with that award. So uh, the bishop said, Daryl Lowe has been an active and supportive part of the United Methodist Church 
Since growing up in the church in Garden City, Kansas, and earning his mechanical engineering degree at Kansas State University, where he was a leader in student ministry. He and his wife, Lavona, remained active in churches as his work took them from place to place, including five years with the American church in France. When his work with jet engines brought him to Bellevue, his family became active at Aldersgate United Methodist Church. Daryl's leadership in the church has been multifaceted. From spiritual and relational growth in his adult class and Tuesday morning men's breakfasts, to personal support of pastors and congregational members, to wise leadership in the area of finance, to work with youth on various mission trips, to, in, to involvement in countless building projects. His leadership was invaluable at Aldersgate in designing, funding, and building their sanctuary, as well as other upgrades to the facility. Daryl's leadership in the conference has included involvement in work parties to build or improve manager-director houses at Indianola, Ocean Park, and Lazy F Camps, and to build children's play equipment at the White Swan United Methodist Church. He served for eight years on the conference's Council on Finance and Administration and has served the last 12 years as president of the Northwest United Methodist Foundation. Now, if I could have added something to that at the time, I would have made it clear, and, and, and we all recognize that this, again, in the best of all worlds, this would have been an award given to Daryl and Lavona uh, because we know how strong they work as a team and, and how they support each other. From the perspective of the foundation, I would just have you know two things. It was right after Lavona made lunch for the foundation board that we decided we needed to make Daryl the president of the foundation. Um, That's only half true. But but also I'm proud to say that that under uh, Daryl's leadership, the foundation uh, has gone from an entity that took its first 40 years to go from managing $2 million dollars worth of assets for local churches, which is part of what we do, to managing $20 million. And in the last five years, again under Daryl's leadership, we have moved from $20 million to just under $40 million. And so he has been a great asset uh, to us uh, in, his, in his leadership to the foundation. But getting back to the bishop's words... The bishop said, Daryl's involvement in the church has also been a foundation for his community involvement. He and Lavona have served for over a decade as registrars of Exploring Your Horizons, an annual event sponsored by the American Association of University Women that brings high school girls together to learn from women involved in various careers. His work with Habitat for Humanity has included work at several Blitz Builds sponsored by the conference and with the Together We Build program that brings Christians, Muslims, and Jews together to do Habitat projects. He finished by saying, in recognition for outstanding service and leadership through the church for the work of Christ, I therefore present this Bishop's Award to Daryl Lowe. Hmm. Daryl, would you come up and receive the award?
once again. I want to hand that to Daryl. Um, thank you, Tom. It's just such a privilege to have you here. And I want to invite Daryl and Lavona to come up and just have a seat for a second. I, I just have some questions as we move through this time of sharing our faith stories and how, um, how we see ourselves or, or others may even see us as the living gospel. Here we have two for whom you just heard at least some of that. And uh, so I want to just ask you guys, let me get these. Why do you do what you do, and where do you think this heart for helping came from? I think that uh, I do what I do, we do what we do, because of the gifts that we have received. Um, I had the gift of a loving family. Uh, I had a church to grow up in that was supportive and very loving and warm. I had lived in a community that supported its youth and provided excellent education. Just, I have received so much, and I want to give back. I, I think it's kind of in my DNA. My uh, my family was was very outgoing and supportive, and uh, my dad particularly was an example for me. Uh, he was very active in the Methodist Church. And actually, I have a grandfather that was an itinerant Czech pastor in central Kansas. So I kind of grew up in the church, but I found it's as I've as I matured and had time to work at the different projects that it's been very very rewarding to to be able to help in these different areas, the area of finance, the area of Building, I like building because I can get go out and pound nails, and, and uh, nobody tells me what to do then. <laughs> but uh, it's been it's been very rewarding to be able to to give back these gifts that that we've had. Well, first service, I, I shared. Um, Cora was sitting right over there, and and she knew that this was coming, and and. And she's our 16-year-old daughter. And uh, last summer, or maybe it was, I guess, last year sometime, Daryl... retreat. retreat it was, oh, was at the retreat. Yeah. And I think it was good Rich. Mr. Dietering, was it, that was over at Lazy F helping build this fence? Cora had, you know, she, she was an athlete, but she's never done any kind of physical labor, per se. And Daryl and Rich became her mentors. And this is going somewhere for a second is she learned how to use one of those long metal poles to dig. And at Lazy F, if you don't know Lazy F at all, they're right on the, the edge of the Manastash Creek. It's a little rocky. <laughs> and so Cora shares this story of Daryl and Rich helping her as she is on her belly grabbing around um, these huge rocks trying to pull them out and being instructed by these two wonderful men that she needs to go deeper. <laughs> And they were not going to pull this rock out for her. And I thank God that they didn't. Because what then happened, she was at senior service camp. This is a, a camp for senior high kids. And guess what they did? 
And guess who got to help lead that um, work on uh, this other kind of hidden chapel of taking a long metal rod and digging holes and her helping instruct some of the younger kids, not helping them pull the rocks out, but, but in, the, in that. You know what? What goes around comes around. And she still remembers that with incredible fondness because of the work. Uh, <laughs> I'm watching Rich and Daryl giggle. <laughs> but she really does. And she has done, learned a work ethic there that she would not have learned other places. So I just want to say thank you for that. So give us one example, maybe out of Habitat, where you have seen some kind of miracle happen. Well, the first year that um, I got really involved in Habitat was the second Blitz build that the conference did. Now, Blitz build starts on Monday morning with a foundation and a subfloor, and that's all. The, the work site's all mud and rocks, and uh, there's a pile of lumber over to the side. And through that week, with the coordination of some really talented people and a lot of volunteer work, we completely built this house and completed the house. So on Saturday afternoon... Saturday afternoon, we met the family who was going to move in. And they moved in. There were sheets on the bed, towels hanging in the bathrooms, um, a fuchsia baskets hanging in the, uh, on the porch. The lawn was in, and it was a magnificent experience. They were, they were overwhelmed, and so were most of the, the volunteers. Did you, all, did you all hear that? Foundation is all that there on Monday, and by Saturday, that not, not a month later, by that Saturday, that family moved into a completely furnished, finished home. Now, this was really a miracle yeah. for this family. Yeah. They were living in an apartment that had been damaged when a car hit the wall and caved in part of the wall, and they didn't, the landlord didn't repair that wall. All he did was nail a piece of plywood across it. So there was all kinds of interesting critters that crawled in through the openings that they had. The house was, their apartment was so bad that there was no piece of upholstered furniture that they could bring to the new place. Everything had to be washed that came into the new house to make sure that they had cleaned out these people. So we had a miracle. I mean, these people went from no house to a very beautiful home. That's wonderful. So what's next for you two? What do you think? What's next for you? Lavona, what do we do next? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Today's the 8th. In 11 days, (laughs) in 11 days, uh, we'll be cooking in here. And you'll be out at the site for the habitat. Um, for the build? First yeah. day of the habitat build. So I'm looking around for people who might be there with us, either in the kitchen or out at the site. What else? Well, I think that, that one of the things that goes with the award is the, the foundation that I have here at Aldersgate and all of the support that we get. It's, uh, it's been really uh, an inspiring thing to 
have other people to work with, to see the financial support, to get the spiritual support. The group that we have in our Bible class has been very supportive. So it's it's been been just just wonderful to, to be associated with this church family and thank you. I think we need to thank them for all that we do. It's about living the gospel, friends. And these stories help us know that it's not something that's out there. It's something that's in here. And the potential, whether it were Daryl and Lavona Lowe or anyone in this congregation, no matter the age, is that we can, in fact, make a difference in the world. Habitat has. Mary, thank you again. The foundation has in so many ways. Tom, thank you for your work. Daryl and Lavona have, and ours is now asking the question of ourselves, what's next? And so as we enter into that time and looking at what's next, I invite us to just spend a moment in prayer together. God, we thank you for these lives, for these stories, for these organizations. And now in this moment, I ask your blessing on each, on the upcoming Together We Build project on Habitat's continued involvement throughout the world. I ask your blessing on Dave Sanford now as he is preparing to leave for Cambodia for the build there. For others who are doing phenomenal work, and I I just look through this congregation of Christy and so many others who are doing life-changing work, Kara Bennett, Panchai, and others, life-changing work throughout the world. Help us ask that question as well. The what's next question. And we ask your anointing and your clear direction. All in Christ's name. Amen.